0: Good evening, listeners. Welcome to Nightly Catcher with Corey Bank. This is episode 41. I'm excited to be here with you all tonight. I am your host, and you're listening to WQEE 99.1 FM, the key in Union, in Georgia. I hope everyone's having a great night. It's now time to enter the late night madness. The first thing that we're going to talk about in the world of NCAA in our first game is between... In this mania tonight, the Colorado Buffaloes versus the TCO Horned Frogs. In this stunning upset, in Fort Worth, Texas, after nine months of hype, Deion Sanders had Colorado ready for primetime in his much-anticipated debut as the Buffaloes coach, Shador Sanders, the coach's son. Through for a school record of five hundred ten yards with four touchdowns. The game winner with the forty-six yard catch and run by a true freshman Dylan Edwards with four twenty-five left. And the Buffs pulled off an opening shocker with a forty-five to forty two win Saturday over the seventeenth ranked TCU team who was last year's national runner up. A lot of you didn't believe in us, Shadower Sanders said. It's crazy because you just got to understand our coach, Coach Prime, my dad. Everywhere he went, he was a winner. Every game, every opportunity he took, he was truly victorious. Deion Sanders came to Boulder, Colorado to revitalize a long-dormant program. With an unprecedented roster flip, the two-way star Travis Hunter, Edwards, and Shador Sanders are among 87 newcomers at Colorado, which won only one game last season, and has only two winning records since 2005. Coach Prime, a two-time Super Bowl champion that included the last for the Dallas Cowboys 28 years ago, said when he first got the job, he was coming to Colorado with luggage, and it was Louis Vuitton. Sanders practically named his son the starting quarterback before Shador even had a chance to enter the transfer portal and was almost uncomfortably open about telling last year's Colorado University players they should probably jump in. But Sanders rebuilt and packed spring game at Folsom Field and dominated the college football scene. But when would the team look like this when games started? That remained to be seen. But Sanders already has a signature win as a three-touchdown underdog in his first game as a major college football coach. I've been talking about it and talking about it. You didn't believe me, he said. Edwards caught three touchdown passes, including a 75-yarder in the opening minute of the second half when he turned another short pass into a big play. He also ran for another score, Hunter. The former top recruit who came with the quarterback and coach from FCS school, Jackson State. Had 11 catches, 419 yards. As a defensive back, he had one of the two interceptions that TCU's Chandler Morris threw in or near the end zone. He played over 120 snaps. That is crazy, folks, to be playing both sides of the ball. That's a testament of his conditioning and how grave an athlete he is. They showed up. They were more ready to play than they were. Think more excited to play than they played harder, TCU coach Sonny Dyke said. It seems like they had more determination down the stretch than we did. So against that, a real credit to them. I think their coaching staff is really good and they really test us on the fundamentals. Shador Sanders completed 38 of 47 passes. And the Buffaloes had four 100-yard receivers for the first time ever: Hunter Edwards, five catches for 135 yards; Jimmy Horn Jr., 11 catches for 117 with a touchdown; and Xavier Weaver, who had six catches for 118 yards. Colorado outgained TCU 565 to 541 in total yards. Morris of TCU was 24-42 passing for 279 yards and two touchdowns. Amani Bailey ran for 165 yards. Trey Sanders had three touchdown runs of his own, including a one-yard run for a score when it was 42-38, led two plays after Major Everhart's 86-yard kickoff return. Edwards' game-winning score came on a fourth down play. He took a pass in the flats, made a fo- slight hesitation, and then raced down the sideline past the TCU defense for the score. TCU's final drive came to an end with a fourth down stop around midfield, and Colorado, playing its final season in the Pac-12 before returning to the Big 12 to share a conference with the Hornfrogs, Frogs, was able to run out the final minute. Colorado didn't trail until Morris threw a 23-yard touchdown pass to Dylan Wright, to put TCU up 28-24 with two and a half minutes left in the third quarter, but that was the first of six consecutive possessions when the two teams traded touchdowns until Edwards' final score. The Horned Frogs had an undefeated regular season last year in Dyke's first season and reached the college football playoff, beating Michigan in the semifinal game before that 65-7 loss to Georgia. They have now lost three of their last four games going back to Big 12 Championship against Kansas State. I told the guys afterwards, if we play like that this year, we're not going to win many football games. So we've got to get better, Coach Dyke said. Thought our tackling was really, really bad defensively, but we've got a lot of guys back, and those guys have tackled. I don't know what happened today, but they didn't get the job done. And as for Deion Sanders. He spent much of the summer getting around on a scooter with a protective boot covering his left foot after multiple surgeries to remove blood clots and address issues with his toes. He took off the boot this week and led this team on the field for an opening win. And he was asked how his foot felt after the game. Not good. Not good at all. But I'm thankful and God gave me what I needed to finish. I'm thankful that I finished and that's all we did. We came up with a victory. Sanders occasionally sat on the folding chair on the sideline during the game. But Sanders got post-game treatment on his foot before addressing his team or the media. While in the training room, he got a visit from his son, Shador, and safety Shiloh, who had 10 tackles in the game. This was a proud moment for his ball club. It's a testament of what he did. And it was, in this game... The Colorado Buffaloes, in this stunning, upset fashion, took the TCU horn Frogs to the bank for the score of 45-42. to 42. Now we're on to the next game of the College Football Weekend Recap We Go. It's a game between the Nevada Wolfpack versus the UC- USC Trojans. Although Lincoln Riley was pleased by big plays and small improvements alike, during the number six Southern California second straight blowout win. Nothing thrilled the head coach and his sideline more than the twenty-three yard fumble return for a touchdown by the two hundred seventy-five pound defensive lineman, Stanley Tafafo. When big people score, football is so much more fun, Riley with his grin. Led by the biggest star of all though, the Trojans had another Saturday of fun while preparing for the bigger challenges ahead. Caleb Williams threw for 319 yards and hit Todd Washington with two of his five touchdown passes, leading USC to a 66-14 victory over Nevada. Zachariah Branch, Michael Jackson III, and Brendan Rice also caught, two also caught touchdowns in this game from their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback for the Trojans, who followed up their blowout of San Jose State with another route of a Mountain West opponent at the Coliseum. USC's 668 yards were its most under Riley, and its 66 points matched the highest scoring game of his tenure. I'm proud of these guys on both sides of the ball. A few plays here and there we need to fix, but an incredible game. Williams passed for 258 yards and 4 touchdowns on just 15 completions, while USC built... A 35-7 halftime lead, he finished 18-24 of 24 while also rushing for 42 yards and adding another array of remarkable escapes and pinpoint completions to his collection. But Riley qualified his praise. He's improving, Riley said. I can't say I'm disappointed with how he's played, but he's got to get better. Everybody wants to look at the score and just write the story, and there's so much to it but there's so many things that he's done really well, especially the situational ball and some understandings of the defensive schemes. But we've had a handful of plays in both games that we both want back and that we don't want to leave those things on the table. USC didn't make Williams available to reporters after the game. South Carolina transfer Marshawn Lloyd had 76 yards rushing and 59 yards receiving while touted the freshman Quentin Joyner and Deuce Robinson scored their first career touchdowns in the fourth quarter. We didn't finish how we wanted to in the last game, but this game we got the young guys to really put it together. Said receiver Mario Williams, who had four catches for 66 yards and Brendan Lewis passed for 182 yards for the Wolfpack who scored on their opening drive before giving up 45 consecutive points. Freshman, A.J., but Bianco threw a 77-yard touchdown pass to Jamal Bell on his first career pass attempt during the fourth quarter for Nevada, which went 2-10 and ten. and Coach Ken Wilson's debut last season after four straight winning campaigns under J- Jay Nervell. It was a difference last year. But we just wanted to get out there and see the situations, get him playing. Wilson said we've got a long season ahead of us. We played against a really good football team tonight. We got to look at all the mistakes we made. We got to fix them all for next week. But Williams was in control from the opening drive, during which he improvised a stunning 30-yard completion to Dorian Singer while on a dead sprint to the sideline. Two plays later, he threw a perfect 22-yard dart touchdown fade to the branch, the freshman phenom who scored two touchdowns in the opener, Nevada, Answered with a 73-yard catch by Spencer Curtis, leading to a touchdown run by Sean Dollars. I thought we had a good start there. And Lewis made some nice throws, Wilson said, but kind of got away from us early with the defense. And when that happens against a really good football team, everybody started to press. But it was sure a good throw. As for the Trojans, Riley began his post-game availability by voicing his displeasure with the Pac-12 for suspending backup defensive back Christian Roland Wallace for the first half over his role in a melee during last year's Territorial Cup game. While Roland Wallace played for Arizona, Riley said the Pac-12 didn't tell Roland Wallace that he needed to serve a suspension until the Thursday after the game before USC's second game, and when he questioned the decision due to Roland Wallace's minor role in the fracas, the conference told him it was too late to reconsider. I don't understand why this happened, but this created the bad light. Now what we could take away from this game is that Nevada, it's not fun to start their season with their big blow-off loss, but the Wolfpack will build on its positive plays in this blow loss including a handful of solid drives and an eye-catching debut by Bianco, who passed for 129 yards and garbage time play. As for the USC Trojans, the Wolfpack were the least daunting opponent on its 2023 schedule, and the Trojans made a wealth of big plays. They also gave up another handful of big plays on defense, not doing much to really see the difference. Persistent concerns about that unit's growth after last season's struggles. But here's the thing. You got the Heisman Trophy winner on your team. Got great momentum. You blew out this team. But you really put it together. The Trojans have been exactly what most voters already thought they were. So they should stay about where they are. But in this game, it was the USC Trojans who took the Nevada Wolfpack to the bank by the score of 66-14. We'll be right back with more NCAA college football mania action. You don't want to miss it. Active Pest Control offers the best services and prices to protect your home, offering both monthly and quarterly pest control services, plus specific services like Begbo, German Roach, and Fleet Control. Even if you can't see them, insects are all around you 24-7. Active Pest Control wants to be the first line of defense. Active Pest Control, repair, Find best termite coverage around. Active Pest Control, 34 Jefferson Street, Noonan, 770-954-9941. Want to give back to your community in a meaningful way? Cares for Kids is a Keller Williams Realty-founded charity in which 100% of money raised goes directly to children in need in our area. Cares for Kids helps fund local organizations like Angel's House, Cowita Casa, Elevate, and more. Help Cares for Kids reach their mission of serving one million children. Call 678-634-9770 today to learn more on how to be involved or text K4K Noonan to 44321 to donate. This week's Property of the Week is located at 688 Cheatham Road in Griffin, Georgia. This 32.14 acre track is waiting to find its new owner. This property features a three-bed, two-bath home built in 1890. An 18 by 28 utility shed ran with its own power and water, fencing for horses and other livestock, and timber such as pine, oak, and pecan trees. Call 678-634-9770 for more information. Welcome back. You're listening to the Night the Crow Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 the Key Keanu Newnan, Georgia. And now we're on to our next game of the NCAA College Football Recap Action. And this game is between the Tennessee Volunteers versus the Virginia Cavaliers. This simple normalcy of playing football means so much for the Virginia Cavaliers that the final score didn't matter Saturday. Losing three teammates to a shooting last November will never be forgotten. Coach Tony Elliott made clear what they endured that day was unprecedented and remains hard to put into words. I mean, every day they're reminded of what happened and not everybody is done grieving or healing, Elliott said Saturday. We're still healing. That's the victory for us. But Joe Milton III, threw two touchdown passes and ran for two other scores as the 12th-ranked Tennessee Volunteers routed Virginia 49-13 on Saturday in the season opener for both teams and the Cavaliers' first game in 294 days. Before kickoff, a moment of silence was held. The Vols also wore a sticker on their helmets with the numbers of the late Devin Chandler, Lavelle Davis Jr., and Deshaun Perry. Cheerleaders from both teams placed flowers at the 1, 10, and 41-yard markers. The numbers of each of those players. And Virginia running back Mike Hollins, who needed several surgeries after being wounded in the shooting, helped lead the Cavaliers onto the field. He finished with three carries for minus seven yards and one catch. But Elliott called Hollins a walking miracle. Back in November, we had no idea like what this was what happened for his life, and what was going to happen for him. But flag today and be able to play and be a significant part of our game plan, Elliott said, just a testament to him and really proud of him. He's an inspiration to me. But the Vols improved the 4-1 all time against Virginia in the first game of this series since 1991 Sugar Bowl. Tennessee coach Josh Hoople said playing in Nashville is important as a prime recruiting area. It's a really positive win, Hopewell said. There's a lot of things to take away from it. it on a positive side. At the same time, there's a lot of ways that we can be a whole lot better as a program. Tennessee scored on its opening drive and never trailed. Milton's one-yard run before halftime put the Vols up 21-3. Dylan Sampson caught a 9-yard touchdown pass that capped Tennessee's first drive. He also had 3 touchdown runs of 3 yards or less. James Pierce Jr. had 2 sacks in the first half for a Tennessee defense that ranked 90th nationally last season, giving up 405.3 yards a game. The Vols finished with 4 sacks and 499-201, to edging out for the offense. Tony Musket started for Virginia after transferring from Monmouth, and quickly found Southeastern Conference defense is nothing like the Colonial Athletic Association. He was nine of seventeen for 94 yards before hurting his shoulder late when he when he got tackled. Elliott said they didn't know the extent of the injury. With Tennessee up 28 to three, Elliott went for it on fourth and one at the Cavs' 34. Musket was dropped for a four-yard loss. Six plays later, Sampson ran for a touchdown that padded the lead. Hoople pulled Milton after an 11-yard touchdown pass to Jacob Warren early in the fourth that made it 42-10. Milton finished with 201 yards passing and 33 rushing when replaced by the five-star recruit Nico Amalifa. So what we can take away from this game for Virginia, the Cavaliers who were three and seven in Elliott's debut season struggled mightily against a program that went eleven and two and beat Clemson in the Orange Bowl. The Cavs had their chances starting in Tennessee territory, three of the final six possessions, only to go three and out five of those times. Will Bettridge also missed a twenty-eight yard field goal to finish a drive that started at Tennessee's twenty-nine. The Cavs had only 15 yards of total offense until a drive for the field goal late in the first half. For Tennessee, the fastest and top scoring offense in the nation last season worked through some kinks in the first half. After p- opening with a touchdown drive that took 2 minutes and 47 seconds, Ramel Caton dropped a deep pass from Milton that hit his hands. And Milton overthrew Katon on another long pass with plenty of room to run. As for your injuries, Virginia, their nose tackle, Agungle, was carted off the end of the first quarter. He had a sack and recovered a fumble punt, but he slipped celebrating going through the sideline on Nissan Stadium's new artificial surface, which features shredded coconut husks and corks. But with the pole implications, Tennessee is certainly not going anywhere. And this wouldn't hurt their chances, even if this was a neutral site. In Nayland Stadium, West, with the largest attendance here for a football game, with 69,507. But Milton had seen teammates celebrate in the field after the game. With his young sister, Journey, wearing a Tennessee cheerleader outfit as well. the timing was perfect. My siblings, they look up to me, Milton said. For them to have this moment with me and cherish it, It's truly incredible. But in this game, it was the Tennessee Volunteers who took the Virginia Cavaliers to the bank by the score of 49-14. to Now we're on to the next game of the NCAA College Football Recap Action We Go. And this game is between the North Carolina Tar Heels versus the South Carolina Gamecocks. The North Carolina Tar Heels have a Heisman Trophy candidate and quarterback Drake May. Now they have a talented defense to match with. it. The sky would be the limit, May said, about the Tar Heels' potential. May threw for 269 yards and two touchdowns, and North Carolina's upstart defense had nine sacks as the 21st-ranked Tar Heels defeated the border rival South Carolina 31-17 on Saturday night in a neutral site game. It was the second most sacks in UNC history since the school began tracking the team stat back in 2000. British Brooks ran for 103 yards, and O'Marion Hampton added two short touchdown runs for the Tar Heels. May, who grew up in the Charlotte suburb of Huntersville, led scoring drives on five of North Carolina's first six possessions, excluding a kneel down at the end of the first half. The redshirt sophomore made NFL-type throws, back shoulder fades, deep outs, and side arm tosses under pressure. While repeatedly keeping alive plays with his feet, he wasn't perfect with two interceptions in the game, but the final 18 minutes as the Tar Heels were trying to put away the game. But May didn't need to be perfect on this day. The Tar Heels got an unexpected lift from Gene Chiswick's defense, which struggled most of last season. But the Tar Heels had just 17 sacks in all of 2022 and surrendered 30.8 points and 436.5 yards per game. That included giving up 40 points in the fourth quarter to Appalachian State. But on Saturday, the Tar Heels limited South Carolina to just 11 rushing yards. Incredible penetration up front. May that happen. How about that defense, May said. After the Appalachian Appalachian State game last year, the narrative shifted to our defense wasn't worth anything. They put a lot of people on notice with this game tonight, and I'm happy for them. I knew it was coming because they gave the offense problems all camp long. Meanwhile, South Carolina coach Shane Beamer knows the Gamecocks have some work to do on offensive line. The whole offensive line is sliding to someone that is a threat, and we're still getting hit, Beamer said. They rushed three, three in the last drive, and we got hit. That is ridiculous. But North Carolina moved the ball at will in the first half, may hit Kobe Pacer, and Strive with a 34-yard touchdown strike along the right sideline to give the Tar Heels a 17-14 lead just before halftime. North Carolina could have scored more had it not been for two drive-killing drops by wide receiver Gavin Blackwell in South Carolina territory, including one on the fourth down. Blackwell was pressed into a bigger role with starting wide receivers Devontae Walker and Nate McCollum. So, the Gamecocks appeared to gain momentum when they pulled out one out of their hat, Sean Payton playbook and recovered an onside kick to start the second half. But the UNC team smothered the drive before it began, forcing the Gamecocks to turn the ball over on downs. They played with a lot of emotion, UNC coach Mack Brown said about his defense. They took it a challenge when it was a sudden change. It was... Pretty incredible to see. The Tar Heels capitalized with Blackwell redeeming himself with a sliding 37-yard catch at the South Carolina 1 to set up Hampton's second touchdown. May, they connected on an 18-yard completion with tight end John Copenhaver who made a one-handed grab in the end zone to put the Tar Heels up 31-14. But what we could take away from this game for North Carolina It was expected that May would play well, but UNC's defensive pressure turned some heads with Amari Gaynor recording two sacks and Cedric Gray and Bo Atkinson combined for three. The Tar Heels made quality stops at key times, particularly in the second half. And what we can take away from South Carolina, their offensive line is going to need some big-time help. If the Gamecocks are going to make some noise in the SEC, they gave up nine sacks to a defense that wasn't very good last season and didn't give Spencer Rattler enough of a chance to make plays. Rattler threw for 353 yards on 30 of 39 passing. But in this game, we did have injuries. And the Gamecocks lost cornerback Nick Emory and offensive tackle Casey Henry to injuries in the first quarter, and they did not return. But with the polling vacations coming to play, the Tar Heels should make a slight jump in the polls at their promising win over a South Carolina team that ranked just outside the AP Top 25. But in the end of the day, while Walker continues to await word from the NCAA on his eligibility, his teammates are showing they have his back. The team gave him the game ball and May wore Walker's jersey during the post-game press conference. Singer Eric Church a North Carolina fan who also wore Walker's jersey on the sideline. I wanted to win this game for Tez. You're going to get me teared up. And he lives just 5 or 10 minutes away. And it's truly an incredible sight with all this camaraderie. But the NCAA has denied the waiver for Walker to play immediately. Citing revised rules limiting waivers for the two-time transfer. The school has appealed for Walker, an in-state product from Charlotte. And Coach Mack Brown criticized the NCAA on Friday. But Walker published a letter he wrote to the NCAA on social media pleading for his right to play. Brown said Walker was so emotionally down Friday night when he found out that he couldn't play. It really was a hard thing for him. But May received a good luck handshake before the game from Washington Commanders quarterback and former Tar Heel Sam Howell the ACC Commissioner James Phillips and SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey attended the game in the Dukes-Mayo Classic in this organization to really put this game, and they honored Jimmy Buffett. In this game, it was the North Carolina Tar Heels who took the South Carolina Gamecocks to the bank by a score of 31-17. to We'll be right back, folks, with more of the NCAA College Football Recap. You don't want to miss it. Wishbone Fried Chicken is back in a brand new location, 31 Jackson Street, Suite A here in Noonan. Same great taste, the best chicken around, fish dinners, open Monday through Saturday, 1030 a.m. to 4 p.m. Dine-in, take-out, it's Wishbone Fried Chicken, right next door to their former location, bringing you the best chicken around, so great! Wishbone Fried Chicken 31 Jackson Street Sweet A here in Noonan. Got mold? Call the Moldman, specializing in crawl space and interior mold remediation, encapsulations, and basement waterproofing since 2019. The Moldman team takes pride in keeping your family healthy and your home mold free. Visit our website, themoldmanllc.com, to schedule a quote or give us a call at 678 227 9763. Hey sports fans, it's Rod Peterson here, host of the Rod Peterson Show, inviting you to join us daily for two hours of Atlanta's Funnest Sports Talk right here on WQEE. I say fun because it is You've never heard a show like it, because we make the listeners a part of the show. Every day between noon and 2 p.m. Eastern, you'll hear plenty of the best sports talk, including the latest on the Falcons, the Braves, and more. And who knows, you might even hear you. That's the Rod Peterson Show, daily at noon, right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Hey, sports fans. Weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. Eastern. Drive time. WQEE, Braves Country is a southern sports talk show with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. That's Braves Country with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. Weekdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. You're listening to the Nightly crow Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 the key at Noonan, Georgia. And now... We're on to the next game of the NCAA college football recap action. In this game, it's between the West Virginia Mountaineers versus the Penn State Nittany Lions. With a mere flick of his wrist, rocket arm Drew Allar began a new era in Happy Valley. This is what the six-foot-five, 242-pound quarterback teammate and his coaches gushed about all summer. The sophomore signal caller can make it look easy. Alar, who sat behind five-year starter Sean Clifford last year, threw for 325 yards and three touchdowns in his first career start to help number seven Penn State beat West Virginia 38-15 on Saturday night in their season opener. That's the Drew we saw in preseason camp. That's the Drew we saw in limited reps last year. Coach James Franklin said he was extremely poised. Keandre Lambert-Smith Caught two touchdown passes, including a 72-yard dart that required very little windup from Allar. Even though he was scrambling through the pocket when he launched it downfield, the ball soared over a lunging Mountaineer defender and fell perfectly into Lambert Smith's hands. The wideout didn't even need to hit full speed to finish the scoring play. Nick Singleton added a rushing touchdown. Malik McLean caught a touchdown pass midway through the fourth quarter for the New Lions, who pulled away after leading 14-7 at halftime. Backup Bo Pribla ran for a touchdown with six seconds left, and kicker Alex Falcons added a 25-yard field goal. It was the first time the two regional rivals played since meeting every year from 1947 until 1992. Penn State won all but six of those games with a deep experience roster that expects to contend for the Big Ten Championship and more left little room for the Mountaineers to air in the opener. Penn State outgained West Virginia, 405-198 to 198 through the three quarters. Meanwhile, a swarming defense forced four punts and three turnovers on downs. Still, the Big 12 foes played hard after making the 184-mile trip north to Beaver Stadium. Quarterback Garrett Green accounted for 233 yards total yards, and C.J. Donaldson scored on a short run to tie it at 7 early in the second quarter. Singleton powered in from two yards to give this team the lead for good two possessions later. And Allard and his receivers helped Penn State pull away. He mimed a crisp fake handoff before hitting a wide-open Lambert Smith in the end zone from 12 yards out to complete Penn State's first possession of the second half. From there, the Mountaineers ran out of steam until Green plunged in from 8 yard out with 3.34 to play. He hit Donaldson for a two-point conversion to cap the scoring drive. I have no doubt we'll be bouncing back, West Virginia coach Neil Brown said. We are on the onward and upward. But they were spreading the wealth in this game, and Alar spread the ball around to nine different targets. This summer was huge for us, Alar said. I think it really paid off with all the work that we put in and through fall camp. Keandre had a really good game tonight, and it, and he did a lot with all the receivers. But with the new boot they have in town, after starting kicker Sander Sayakin missed field goals from 34 and 38 yards in the first half. Franklin opted to switch kickers for the Nittany Lions for the third PAT try and all kicks thereafter. Falcons was perfect with three PATs and the lone field goal. But what we could take away from this game for West Virginia, Green played relatively mistake free, but didn't get a lot of help from his receivers, who caught just 10 of 18 targets. Meanwhile, the Mountaineers' defense hung in as good as it could possibly be. A similar effort with a pretty solid team, but they had fewer weapons than the Lions. As for Penn State, there's a lot of excitement in Happy Valley for good reason. Alar checked all the boxes in his first start. He went 21 for 29, while Lambert Smith looked pretty good as well for the number one receiver. Meanwhile, star tailback Singleton and Catron Allen picked up where they left off last year and moved piles all night with 137 combined offensive yards. That's very impressive by their backfield. But in this game, it was the Penn State Nittany Lions who took the West Virginia Mountaineers TA your guest, folks, to the bank by the score of 38 15. Now we're on to the next game of our college football recap action. And this game is between the University of Wisconsin Badgers versus the University of Buffalo Bulls. Chez Malusi ran for 157 yards and two touchdowns, and Braylon Allen. Added 141 yards and two more scores. And the number 19 Wisconsin Badgers started the first season off with Luke Fickles coaching tenure with a 38-17 victory over Buffalo on Saturday. Fickle coached his first regular season game since joining the Badgers after six seasons at Cincinnati. He was with the Wisconsin team for the guaranteed Ray bowl victory over Oklahoma State last season. The sellout at Camp Randall Stadium was announced attendance of 76,224 spectators. This was the first time that it reached these heights since 2009, folks. Moosey had an 89-yard touchdown run to make it 21-10 in the third quarter. He had 13 carries. Allen had 14 rushes and caught 7 passes for 25 yards. It's a 1-1 punch, Fickle said. They're really good friends, and sometimes you would think in an offense that might not be the same as it has been, that it would be unique. How can you have two really talented backs, and they're able to share the load? They're a great example of what momentum and energy can do, and what healthy competition looks like. Buffalo coach Maurice Linguist said the Bulls didn't do a good job containing Lucy and Allen. We were disappointed to see a couple of those long runs, Linguist said. We may have had a guy or two on the point of attack just not to get the ball on the ground. It goes back to setting edges, running to the ball, downing the football, and making tackles in space. And that's what they had a hard time doing all night long. Surveying the field, filling gaps and holes so that these backs did not tear you up all night long. An SMU transfer, Tanner Mordecai. Threw for 189 yards and a touchdown, and two interceptions in his first start for the Badgers. Malusi had a one-yard touchdown run to put the Badgers on the board first in the first quarter. Buffalo scored less than two minutes later, then Cole Harity caught a seven-yard pass from Cole Snyder. The Badgers had 101 yards rushing in the first half, but found their footing on the ground in the third with 150 yards In the quarter, that right there is unreal, folks. Shamir Dyke caught a 29-yard touchdown pass that gave Wisconsin a 14-7 lead with a minute to go in the first half. The Buffaloes, Devin Grant, picked off Mordecai's pass at the 50 and returned it to the 16. But Alex McNulty missed a 34-yard field goal tap three plays later. McNulty made a 53-yard field goal with 7 seconds left in the first half to pull the Bulls to 14-10. Herity finished with 5 catches for 113 yards and 2 scores. But with this game of this poll's implications, the Wisconsin Badgers figures to stay at that number 19 slot. Or they might even fall a couple places because the game was a little closer than it needed to be. But in this game, it was the Wisconsin Badgers who took the Buffalo Buffaloes, the Buffalo Bulls, to the bank by the score of thirty-eight to seventeen? Now we're on to our last game of the NCAA college football weekend action, and this was a jam-packed game of heavyweights between the LSU Tigers versus the Florida State Seminoles. Jordan Travis accounted for five touchdowns, including three to Michigan State transfer Keon Coleman. And number 8 Florida State throttled 5th ranked LSU 45-24 on Sunday night in the most anticipated matchup of college football's opening weekend. The Seminoles extended their winning streak to 7 and established themselves as an early season favorite to make the college football playoff. They won this one primarily on 4th down. FSU stopped the Tigers twice on fourth down in the first half, including once at the goal line, and scored the go-ahead touchdown one play after the Travis connected with Lawrence Taloflia. For 41 yards on fourth and two, Travis ran in on the ensuing play to put the Seminoles ahead 24-17 and sent most of the 65,429 in attendance into a frenzy. Roughly 80% of those on hand were draped in garnet and gold. They got exactly what they wanted, a blowout, to kickstart the program's most hyped season in nearly a decade. LSU was a a two-and-a-half point favorite in this game, but FSU won its final six games last season and then surprisingly returned nearly everyone for coach Mike Novell's fourth season, including Travis, a standout receiver, Johnny Wilson, and stud pass rusher Jared Verse. But the star of the opener was Coleman, who left East Lansing, Michigan for greener grass in Tallahassee. He finished with nine catches for 122 yards, including scoring plays of 40, 21, and 7. What a way to start your career as a Seminole. Wilson added seven receptions for 104 yards and would have had better numbers had it not been for his two drops. Travis was at his best in the second half, connecting on 11 of 13 passes as the Seminoles took the lead for good. He sent most of the LSU faithful to the exits. When he found South Carolina transfer, Jaheim Bell down the sideline for a 44-yard score with seven minutes remaining. Travis completed 23 of 31 passes for 342 yards and the four touchdowns. He and Coleman hooked up for a 40-yard connection adding a 21 yard later in the second to tie the game at 14 and then connected on a 7 yard fade in the fourth Jaden Daniels wasn't nearly as effective for LSU in a showdown of two of the top 3 preseason Heisman Trophy favorites he was 22 of 37 passing for 347 yards one interception and 75 yard score in the waiting minutes, he ran 15 times for 64 yards and was on the receiving end of the hit of night. So FSU Tatum Bethune hammered him to the ground after he attempted to leap another defender. Florida State probably would have trailed by double digits in the first half had it not stopped the Tigers twice on fourth down. After Daniels connected with Trey Bradford for 55 yards in the first play of the game, LSU had six shots to score from inside the five-yard line. The Tigers never got close, with Daniels misfiring twice and then getting sacked on fourth down. The Tigers were in the red zone again in the fourth second quarter, but Daniels was sacked on a fourth and one play from the FSU 13, and two drives deep into the Seminoles territory with no points. And you can't do that in these games, especially with these two teams. So, FSU had its own issues. The Knolls struggled to run the ball, and they kept getting beat up front, and they were flagged for three personal foul penalties. They gotta clean that up. That's inexcusable. Adding to their woes, Wilson dropped two passes with dozens of NFL scouts in the press box for the top 10 matchup, but what we could take away from this game, LSU's coach. Brian Kelly has plenty to fix defensively as the Tigers move forward. They allowed 483 yards and were ineffective on third down, allowing the Seminoles to convert 8 of 13 on all those being important downs. Now for Florida State, the Seminoles have been building toward the season for years with Norvell stockpiling talent through the transfer portal while developing youngsters who have been in the program. But with the poll implications in play, Florida State can move into the top five when the next Associated Press poll is released on Tuesday. Now we have for our sideline stars. Former LSU star Tyron Mathio was on the sideline with his family before the game. And Florida State countered with a slew of former players, including Pro Football Hall of Famer Leroy Butler, Andre Wadsworth, Darnell Dockett, Bryant McFadden, Travis Johnson, Peter Work, and Snoop Minnis. But in this game, it was the Florida State Seminoles who took this game to the bank against this LSU Tiger team, 45-25. to 25. You don't want to go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back with Music News. You don't want to miss it. How do you make the most of your land? Everyone has their way. The Nelsons depend on their John Deere Gator XUV 835R to get... From point A to point B with decoys and the dogs. As much as we've got going on, it's all about efficiency. And if you ask the Mosers what they use their Gator XUV 590M for, they tell you. The most fun we have on the Gator is just ripping around the property. There are millions of ways to make the most of your land. Learn how to make the most of yours at deer.com. Nothing runs like a deer. I'm not going to lie. I know nothing about cars, and I don't really mind keeping it that way. This? It's cool. I called CarShield before my car broke down. Thanks to CarShield, I don't have to understand anything about what's broken, because plans can pay for repairs on up to 6,000 parts of my car. Leave fixing cars to the experts and call CarShield before your car breaks down, and maybe save some money for once. It's a thought. Call 800-579-6554. 800-579-6554. You're listening to the nightly crowd catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1, the key afternoon in Georgia, and now we're on to our music news segment. And our first story is about the memory and legend of Mr. Margaritaville himself, Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett, the easygoing Margaritaville singer-songwriter, who transformed his no worries, beachy lifestyle into a five-decade endless road trip as a performer and entrepreneur has died at the age of 76. The news announced on his website and social media accounts follows Buffett's May cancellation of a show in South Carolina to get treatment for an undisclosed illness. Jimmy passed away on the night of September 1st, surrounded by his family, friends, music, and dogs. The early Saturday morning on September 2nd post reads, He lived his life like a song till the very last breath, and we will be missed beyond measure by so many. Renowned for his wildly enthusiastic audiences known as page parrotheads, Buffett parlayed his cheeky rum-soaked songs about pirates, a pirate looks at 40, boozy beach bums, It's five o'clock somewhere. Captains and sand-caked rogues, the captain and the kid, into an permanent vacation journey where every port of call was loaded with fruity drinks, colorful, summer themed outfits, and precisely no one cares in the world. With a laconic songwriting style that leaned into his guy, you-wanna-have-six beers with persona, and vice versa, Buffett penned such... Memorable lines, as I took off for a weekend last month just to try and recall the whole year. For the 1977's Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitude Single, the primary thrust of his beach could be summed up by the title of his 1992 box set, Boats, Beaches, Bars, and Ballads. In addition to his 13 Billboard Hot 100 charting singles, including seven top 40s and one top 10, as well as 40 entries on the Billboard 200 album chart, Buffett's No Worries built a killer business instinct that parlayed the popularity of his island-spiked bar band folk rock anthems into an estimated billion dollar personal fortune. His sprawling ancillary business Included a series of Margaritaville and Landshark bar and grill restaurants across the U.S., as well as licensing agreements for Margaritaville tequila, shoes, cruises, pre packaged food items, and an Atlantic City casino. There were also his personal Margaritaville and mailboard records imprints, a trio of charitable organizations that funded personal growth through music and manatee rescue as well as a pair of musicals, 1997's Don't Stop the Carnival, and 2017's Escape to Margaritaville, his signature Landshark lager beer, and three latitude Margaritaville retirement communities in Daytona Beach, Hilton Head, and Watersound, Florida. Born James William Buffett on Christmas Day of 1946 in Mississippi, and raised in Mobile, Alabama. The singer was one of three children born to James Delaney Buffett Jr. and Mary Lorraine who peaked work for the Alabama Dry Dock and Shipbuilding Company. He grew up listening to his grandfather steamboat ship captain J.D. Buffett tales on high seas adventure to whom he paid homage and son of a son of a sailor. The latter features the memorable salt-caked lines, I'm just a son of a son, son of a son, son of a son of a sailor. The sea's in my veins, my tradition remains, I'm just glad I don't live in a trailer. Inspired by the attention a college fraternity brother earned from women for playing guitar, Buffett, began his first band and quickly graduated from street busking to playing six nights a week at Bourbon Street Clubs in New Orleans and then working as a correspondent for Billboard Magazine in Nashville from 1969 to 1970. He was the reporter who broke the news that legendary bluegrass duo Lester Flatt and Earl Shrugs were breaking up in 1969. He released his debut album, The Country-Leaning Folk, collection down to earth in 1970, to little acclaim of reportedly selling just 400 copies that was followed by 1973's A White Sport Coat and a Pink crushin, a twangy Nashville-inspired collection which featured the fan-favorite novelty song Why Don't We Get Drunk and, and as well as He Went to Paris and Grapefruit Juicy Fruit, which were laced with the low-key Key West vibe he'd picked up after moving south to his forever home in Florida. The singer finally hit the top 40 with the number 30 Hot 100 swaying single, Come Monday. From his third album, Living and Dying in Three-Fourth Time, which contained another life staple, Pencil Thin Mustache. The release of his sixth album, Havana Daydreaming, in 1976 marked Buffett's highest Billboard 200 album chart placement to date at number 65, but it was the next year's Change in Latitudes, Change in Attitudes that proved to be his best-selling breakthrough album thanks to the Margaritaville song. So, this song features a kind of shorthand sure for the Buffett way of life and the origins of his fans' nickname courtesy of the sand-packed first verse nibbling on sponge cake watching the sunbake, all your parrot heads covered with oil, which flip-flops into the iconic chorus, Wasting Away, again in Margaritaville, searching for my long-lost shaker of salt. That song, which spends 22 weeks on the singles chart, topped out at number 8 on the Hot 100 in July of 1977, marking Buffett's highest charting career single. His streak continued on 1977, this 1978's Son of a Son of a Sailor, which featured another iconic laid-back hit, Cheeseburger in Paradise, number 32 on Hot 100, as well as Livingston Saturday Night at number 52, Amanana, number 84 and all. But Buffett released 29 studio albums and 14 live albums over his career, including his final collection 2020's fan-curated b-sides, Songs You Don't Know by Heart. At press time, Buffett has been teased with his 30th studio album, Equal Strain on All Parts, through a release date that has not been set yet. Buffett's career peak on the Billboard 200 albums charted came in 2004, when License to Chill hit number one, besting his previous career high on the album, Tally. Back in 1996, Banana Wind at number four. His 2020 collection, Life on the F- Flip Side, topped out at number two. The singer also crossed over onto the country charts with 20 songs, including 2003 ACM winning number one Allen Jackson Duet, It's Five O'Clock Somewhere, as well as 2011's number one hit, Knee Deep, with the Zach Brown Band, and 2004's Hey Good Looking, a Hank Williams cover that had number 8 with some help from Clint Blake, Black, Kenny Chesney, Alan Jackson, Toby Keith, and George Strait. In addition, Buffett landed 15 entries on the adult contemporary charts and truly with number 1 on the contemporary charts with Margaritaville in 1977. And 17 entries on the top country album charts with 8 top 10s and a number 1 a license to chill. So it really has been an incredible career for Buffett putting together an incredible display. You will surely be missed with all the memories. Take care, Jimmy Buffett. You've been appreciated. We're on to our last story of music news, and this is about a legendary metal band who has to postpone a concert in Arizona. Next. Two of the band's M72 World Tour concert in Arizona after frontman James Hetfield tested positive for COVID 19. The legendary metal group, which played its opening show at Glendale State Farm Stadium on Friday, September 1st, announced through social media the following afternoon that forced them into scheduling its Sunday, September 4th performance. We're very sorry to report that tomorrow's scheduled MZ. MC- seventy two date at State Farm Stadium has been postponed to Saturday, September 9, 2023. But we hope that James Hetfield feels a lot better. Metallica managed to get through its opening show at State Farm Stadium on Friday, but Hetfield struggled with vocal issues during performance according to the Arizona Republic. The band also shortened its set by two songs, eliminating The Day That Never Comes, and Master of Puppets. Despite postponement, other events as part of the M72 weekend takeover around the Phoenix were still scheduled for Saturday and Sunday. Metallica wrote in its post, those included a tribute show, pop-up shops, whiskey tastings, and more. After the band's rescheduled show in Arizona, Metallica will perform a headlining set at Power Trip Fest on October 8th in California. The group's next M seventy two weekend takeover takes place at St. Louis Dome at America Center on the third and five. Feel better, James Hetfield. We love you, man. In on the nightly crowd casher with Corey Bank on WQEE ninety nine point one the key at Newton, Georgia. Everyone, get home safe, have a great night's sleep, and we'll see you next time. Have a labor day, everybody.